0: Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's word to be empowered and challenged today. If it's your first time, my name is John Homus. I am uh, the lead pastor here at New City Fellowship. Uh, People call me Pastor John. You can call me John if you want to, it's fine. Either way, I'll answer. Um, John has been my name all my life. And uh, what's your name? And what is the significance of your name? My guess is there's a story behind your name and why you were given the name that you were given. Uh, Every name has a meaning. Every name has a story. Um, If you know the significance of your name, that's part of who you are. And to know your name and know what it means, that is to know you better. What about the person next to you? Um, Do you know... Hopefully you know what their name is, especially if you're married to them. But do you know the significance of their name? Uh, the people that we have in our lives, they all have stories behind their name, and knowing that story is part of knowing them. But it's not just with formal names. Um, lots of you have nicknames, and those nicknames have stories behind them. In fact, by, if someone calls me a nickname, I can know when I knew them. Like if someone calls me swimmer, I knew that I knew them in 1999. And if someone calls me John number four, I know that I knew them in 2006. Because there's a story. There's a story behind those. And you might go, what's the story? I'm not going to tell you, right? I got to have some personal things. But everyone has a nickname as well. And not only that, you probably have a title. You have a, a job that has given you a formal title or a role that has given you a formal title, like assistant or father, or doctor, or something like that. You have a title. And as we get to know each other's names and nicknames and titles, we actually get to know each other better. We get to know more fully who you are and what your story is and what your role is in this world. The more that we know someone's names, the more we know the fullness of who they are. The less we know someone's names, the less we know about them. When I was in college, I played water polo, and our water polo team hung out together a lot. And uh, one of the guys on my team had a cousin who lived 45 minutes away. And he was in high school. This cousin was in high school. And so he would come over a lot and hang out with us on the weekends. His parents would let him come over and hang out with his cousin from college. And this guy, we just called him Little Cuz because he was younger than us and he was my friend's cousin. And I realized that I actually never really got to know his real name because we just called him Little Cuz. Little Cuz is coming this week and Little Cuz is hanging out with us. Finally, I asked somebody, what is Little Cuz's name? And and the guy was like, I'll have to ask because I'm not actually sure. And I was like, this guy's basically your roommate and you don't even really know his name. I just actually saw a picture of Little Cuz on social media and he's not little anymore. Uh, He is a grown man with like three kids and three inches more on his belly, so he's not little cuz anymore. But, uh, But a name is, it's meaningful and significant, and to know someone's name is to know more about them. To not know their name is to not know fully who they are. This series is about Jesus's names. I read somewhere that Jesus, just in the New Testament, has almost 200 different names, 200 different things that he's called, 200 titles, 200 nicknames, 200 things that he refers to uh, by himself. Um, And what does it mean for us to know those names? As we know those names, we will get to know more fully who he is. As we understand what he calls himself and what he's called, it will actually help us build intimacy with Jesus, our Savior. Uh, Today, we're going to simply look at Jesus is man. Now, when I say that, I don't mean Jesus is the man, although he is. What I simply mean is that Jesus is human. Jesus is humankind like you and me. In fact, Jesus as a human was from a place. Jesus is the man from Nazareth. Nazareth was his hometown. And Nazareth was a podunk, hometown in Galilee. It wasn't a place of culture and influence. It was outside. It was was seen as uncultured, unimportant, uninfluential. And that's where Jesus was from. Nazareth was not admired by people in Israel. So much so that when Jesus starts gathering followers, one of his followers, Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Where Jesus was from was actually a hang-up for people following him. Jesus was from Nazareth, and Nazareth was not admired. But even Jesus from Nazareth, when he starts his ministry in Nazareth, he is rejected by his hometown. After Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, he he goes to his hometown to start his ministry, and he, he goes to the temple Sorry, he goes to the synagogue in Luke chapter four, verse 16. It says, Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stands up to read. And he's handed a scroll and he reads from Isaiah. He reads from the prophet Isaiah about it being the year of the Lord's favor, about it being the time when God would bless his people. And he reads this passage and he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And he hands the scroll back and everyone is blown away. Wow, isn't that Mary and Joseph's boy? Man, from Nazareth, he, he, he has such eloquent words and, and he just blessed us with what, he, with what he said. It being the year of the Lord's favor. That is amazing. Until Jesus continues on. And Jesus tells them, a prophet is not really accepted in his hometown. And when God's people reject God's prophet, God sends his prophet to the outsiders. And at that point, the people get massively offended. Because Nazareth was viewed as the outside people. And here, Jesus is telling them that they're rejecting God and therefore, God's prophet is going to go to even more outsiders. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up, drove him out of town, and brought him to the edge of the hill that was their town, that their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Jesus, the man from Nazareth, Nazareth, both not a place that's admired, and even when Jesus begins his ministry there, he is not accepted even in his hometown. What does it mean for us to know that Jesus is from Nazareth? As followers of Jesus, to know one of his names is Jesus from Nazareth. How does that help us know him more fully? Well, first of all, it just means Jesus was fully human. Fully God and fully human, and just like every other human, he had a place. Everyone on their Facebook profile has a hometown. Where are you from? Jesus, just like the rest of us, had a hometown that he was from. He had a place, he had a family, and he had a people. Jesus was human. He was the man from Nazareth. But also, he was not admired for coming from Nazareth. He was not admired because of the place he came, nor was he accepted by the people he came from. His ministry actually starts with him being rejected because of his teaching. Think about that. Jesus comes to his hometown and he starts his ministry by being rejected because of what he teaches. Now, a lot of times when you and I talk about Jesus, we talk about the comforting words that he says to sinners. And that's absolutely true. Jesus says amazing words of grace and love and comfort to broken people like you and me. But that's not all he says. Jesus' teaching is not just comforting, it is confrontational. And as he confronts the people in his hometown, they ultimately don't admire him or accept him, but reject him and disrespect him because of the words that he says. This past week, a documentary came out um, about the Hillsong Church movement. And um, it's a pretty deep documentary. It's pretty heavy. There's a lot of things that they critique, and I don't really want to kick someone while they're down, but in the documentary, they talk about how that global church movement called Hillsong was run more like a business and like a church. There's another critique that there were sex scandals that went unreported in the church, and there were some critiques of the philosophy of music behind Hillsong Church. And Hillsong music is the most popular music in the world right now for churches. Um, But honestly, what stuck out to me more than that was something that I've noticed over the past 10 years. And it's this, that movement has not been open with the confrontational teachings of Jesus. And here's what I mean by that. A lot of times their pastors will get asked to go on talk shows or will get asked to rub shoulders with famous people. And the way when they're asked hard questions, often what they say is something that's slick and sounds good, but isn't true. Now, now again, here I'm not, I'm not here to kick someone when they're down. I know that a lot of people right now are hurting because they were plugged into that movement but I think what we need to see from Jesus here is that when Jesus opens his mouth and speaks, the room's not always full of energy. It's not always exciting. In fact, when Jesus speaks sometimes, there is often no applause. People are dumbfounded and want to kill him. Jesus is not accepted all the time when he teaches, and he's perfectly okay with that. What does it mean for us to understand that Christianity isn't really about always saying things that seem acceptable and admirable. Sometimes it's just telling the hard truth as it is. Uh, Sometimes you and I can think that Christianity is all about rubbing shoulders with influencers and finding people who say things in the most profound, acceptable way, but that is not who Jesus is. Jesus says things that are both comforting and confrontational. He doesn't care if he is liked. He doesn't care if he is admired. He doesn't care if he says something that you don't like. He says what's true. And he loves to comfort people, but he often comforts when you're willing to accept his confrontation. And I think as we think about our own church and as we think about churches around the world, not just Hillsong, I think there's a good question for us. Are we willing to let Jesus say hard things to us? Are we willing to say hard things to people when we know that Jesus would say those hard things? See, to know that Jesus is the man from Nazareth is to know that Jesus was not focused on being admired or accepted. Jesus said things that were both comforting and confrontational. To know Jesus is from that place is to know those things about him. Place is important. What's also important, though, is how Jesus referred to himself. Do you know that there was a phrase that Jesus used to refer to himself more than any other phrase, and it was the phrase, the son of man. Over and over and over, Jesus would talk about himself in the third person, and he would say, the son of man and then he would talk about something that he was gonna do. And that term, son of man, we think, um, we think it can mean something like just a human. And it does mean that. But there's actually a much deeper meaning in the Bible when Jesus uses that name for himself. In the book of Daniel chapter seven, Daniel is in the middle of political upheaval in Babylon. There are, there are kingdoms rising against kingdoms. And Daniel has this vision about one like a son of man who will enter in and have more power than anybody else and the nations will worship him. In Daniel chapter seven, verse nine and 13 and 14, Daniel says, as I kept watching, thrones were set in place and the ancient of days, that's like a, that's like a, a metaphor for God. And the ancient of days took his seat. Suddenly one like a what? Son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. When Daniel sees this vision of a son of man, he sees this God-man figure who is glorious and has more power than any king or queen of the earth, so much so that he will rise up to heaven to be before the ancient of days, and he will defeat all the enemies of God's people, and he will reign forever. The Son of Man. but you're going to be confused just like the disciples were. Because when Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man, he talked about it in a way that left people confused. He repurposed that phrase, and he would say things like this, like he says in Mark 10. Taking the 12 aside again, Jesus began to tell them the things that would happen to him. See, we are going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him and kill him. And he will rise after three days. Over and over when Jesus uses the term son of man, he often talks not about someone rising in power and glory, but rather someone setting aside power in order to be killed. And the disciples are dumbfounded. This is the point where Peter confronts Jesus and says, "What are you saying?" and Jesus has to say, "Get behind me, Satan." Because it doesn't make sense to them. The Son of Man is supposed to be celebrated, not spat on. The Son of Man is supposed to be defeat is supposed to defeat the enemies of God's people, not be killed by them. The Son of Man is supposed to be honored, not crucified. And so it leaves the disciples confused about what Jesus means by the term the Son of Man. And Jesus follows up with this. He says in Mark 10, verse 42, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the Son of Man. How does it help us know him better when we understand that he called himself Well, first of all, it helps us understand his self-understanding, how he identified himself. He identified himself as the Son of Man. And the Son of Man was one who would have great power. And Jesus meant that when he said that about himself. Some people say Jesus was never meant to create a a movement. He never meant to to be worshipped. He never meant to call himself a king. That's simply untrue. Because Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man over and over and over, the one who would be given the most power in the universe. Jesus meant to start a movement where all the nations would come to worship and serve him. But in that, Jesus' self-understanding as the Son of Man was not just about gaining power, but ultimately about giving up power in order to serve giving up power in order to serve. Jesus says the Son of Man has come to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to atone for the sins of sinners like you and me, so that when we trust in his finished work on the cross, we are reconciled to God. And Jesus came, the all-powerful one, Not to seek power, but to give up power in order to serve you and me by taking our place on the cross. To know Jesus is to know someone who had ultimate power, but died in ultimate shame on purpose. That confronts our culture. That confronts our culture because our culture usually chooses gaining power over setting aside power and serving. Think about how politics work. Think about how power structures and power grabs work in our culture. We are so focused on keeping power and not losing power. We are so focused on gaining power and revoking power from other people. We try and control the narrative so that we can tell the story the way we want it and gain power. This past week, you probably, if, unless you were not on the news at all, you probably saw the incident with Will Smith and Chris Rock on, uh, on the Oscars. And what was interesting to me was, first of all, it was just shocking to kind of watch that. I woke up the next morning and my Facebook feed was completely inundated with that situation uh, from the Oscars. Uh, but as I kind of took a step back, it was just interesting to me to see how many people we're claiming to know exactly what happened behind the scenes. I mean, as I read posts from people and I read articles in newspapers, people were saying, this is about infidelity. And someone else would say, no, 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 this is about disability. And then someone else would say, no, this is about emasculation, this is about assault, this is about anger, this is about women, this is about men, this is about comedic oversteps, this is about abuse. This is about privilege, this is about hypocrisy, this is about live television, and on and on and on and on. And it was just overwhelming to see all the talking points and all the people trying to slap the trump card down and say, here's what happened. I was a little bit exhausted. Now don't hear me say we shouldn't be talking about those things. This is an interesting incident. I don't think anything's ever happened like this. And it became a talking point in our culture for all those different things. But what I noticed was the responses of people. There was like this collective rush in our culture to get to the microphone first and explain to everybody else what happened. There was a rush to get to social media and type exactly what happened to control the narrative. I was like, no, wait a minute. We don't even actually know these people. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes in their life. And it almost became like this Rorschach inkblot test. You know the inkblot tests where you hold up an inkblot and someone goes, I see a bat. No, I, I, I see a woman. No, I, I, I see a bird. It almost became like that where in that situation, everyone saw what they already believed about power and powerlessness. What's the point? That situation was incredibly complicated. But the way our culture responded to that situation showed our obsession with power. If I can get there first. I can explain what happened. And I can get people to join my side from my point of view and rail against the other side. There was a mad rush to be the first to explain. There was a Mad rush to get position on the narrative. There was a sense of like gaining power over the story. And in the midst of all that, one little thing got lost that I didn't even see until this morning. After that happened, Denzel Washington and uh, one other actor approached Will Smith after he had slapped Chris Rock. They just went up to him and said, we want to pray for you. I thought, wow, that's different. Now, I don't know where Denzel is in terms of faith, but Denzel later said after he went up and prayed for Will Smith, he said, you know what, I don't know all the ins and outs of that, this situation, but I know the only solution was prayer. The way I see it, the way I saw it, the way I see it. What does it mean that when something like this happens, our culture is so obsessed with getting control and getting power in expressing our opinion, and there's only one little part where it's celebrated that someone would actually approach someone to serve them in their mess. Friends, what if we took Jesus seriously when he says the greatest among you is not the one who holds power or keeps power or gains power, but the one who sets aside power and serves Jesus found his greatest significance in the title Son of Man, which was the one who had all power and set aside power in order to serve people who don't deserve it. What could it look like if we took him seriously? Instead of being the first one to rush to the mic, instead of being the first one to post, what could it be like if we took that seriously in our friendships, in our church, in our marriage, to say what is more significant to Jesus is serving. To know Jesus as the Son of Man is to know the one who set aside power in order to serve those who didn't deserve it. But you might say, but pastor, giving up power means challenges. It means trials. Possibly even means suffering. And you would be right. Because not only was Jesus the man from Nazareth, not only was Jesus the son of man, but Jesus was also the suffering man. As Jesus is on trial in John 19, he has been flogged. He has had a crown of thorns put on his head. He has been clothed in a purple robe and mocked. He has had people come up to him, spit on him, smack him. He is covered in blood. He is a shell of a man. In John 19, it says, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and clothed him in a purple robe. And they kept coming up to him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and were slapping his face. Pilate went outside again and said to them, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I find no grounds for charging him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns in the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, here is the man. When the chief priests and the temple servants saw this, they shouted, crucify, crucify. Jesus is so much of a physical mess, covered in blood, bones broken, that Pilate can't even call him by his name. He just says, here's this guy. What a mess he is. And I think in hopes that people will see how brutally Jesus has been punished for crimes he didn't commit and therefore be like, let's end this. Behold this suffering man. Do you see the man whose body is broken? Do you see the blood running down his, fa- his face? He is a shell of a man and Pilate can't even say his name. But Jesus, the suffering man, the one whose name couldn't even be spoken, the reason he suffered and died was because he knows your name. Because he knows your name, he knows that you've fallen short of the glory of God and he loves you. The reason Jesus went to the cross, the reason he submitted to crucifixion for crimes he didn't commit is because Jesus knows your name. And Jesus came, not on accident, but on purpose to die in your place, to satisfy not just the raging of the crowd, but God's wrath against sin. Jesus came because he knows your name and he wanted to give you new names. He wanted your name not just to be Chevelle, not just to be Jay, not just to be Nat, but son and daughter of God. He wanted your name to be forgiven. He wanted your name to be redeemed. He wanted your name to be the one who has hope. He wanted your name to be beloved. Jesus was the suffering man because he knows your name and because he wanted you to have a new name, that by dying in your place, you could have confidence that you would not be rejected by God, but for eternity, you would be called God's beloved. (laughs) Jesus, the man, Jesus, the man from Nazareth, Jesus, the son of man, Jesus, the suffering man, suffered and died so that you might live with confidence, with the love of God, knowing that your name is forever written in God's eternal book, the Lamb's book of life. Not because you've earned anything from God, but because Jesus died. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcasts. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.